listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us again for episode 210. How's it going, Mark? It's going well, my dynamic duo. <laughs> yeah, somebody reached out to, to me today and was like, you're a dynamic duo. <laughs> yes, we love our listeners. Never been called the dynamic duo before. Well, I don't necessarily know it was dynamic. It was just more of a power duo. That's better because the dynamic duo makes me think of the Batman and Robin series from the 70s. You're a Robin. <laughs> no, I'm not Robin. <laughs> no. I just had to get first word in on that. No, I like the dynamic, I mean, not dynamic, the power duo. Better. Yeah. That's yeah, what they yeah, said. Yeah. 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 Big shout out to whoever thinks that Paige and I are the power duo. We'll let you know. Thanks, sir. <laughs> we'll get there. I think her name is Sahan. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of duos, we got a duo of reviews. reviews. You yeah. read the first one, I'll read the second one. I don't care whichever way you want to do this. You read the first one. Okay. Five star review. Excellent podcast. Known Mark for years, and this show is an excellent way of distilling several complicated subjects into an enjoyable and understable way to absorb it. Understandable. Understable. Great work, Mark and Paige. Well, Paige needs to work on her talking. So, <laughs> Well, it's actually how it was, is typed out. I'm sure it's a spell check. Yeah. And then here's an interesting one. So two-star review, your boss's boss in HR loves this show. The con of this show is, uh, okay. It tends to be somewhat limited in useful information and more focused on rumors going around the industry. The hosts are woke, air quotes, on culture issues, basically cultural Marxists regarding POCs and female representation in the industry. LaCour expects a 50-50 gender parity. Not sure how he feels about teaching or nursing. If you like your HR department, you'll love the show. If not, keep scrolling. There are better oil and gas podcasts out there. And this, we don't know who this was from, but anyway, it's from somebody that actually gave us some pointers for improvement. 50-50 gender parity? I don't care. I just want the right people <laughs> doing the right jobs. Marxist, that's a new one. Yeah, no. It expects a 50-50 gender parity. How about we believe in gender equality? Yeah. I will say thank you very much to let Paige and I are woke on cultural issues. We, we work very hard on being woke on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does that make everybody else communist too by listening to the show? I don't, I, uh. I'm not sure what was going on when this person wrote the review, but we appreciate it anyway. And, and honestly, people, if you have ideas for improvement, you don't have to give us a five star, although 99.99% of our 318 reviews are five stars. Yeah. Um, you can go ahead and give us a two star review. Well, I also wanted to address the, the rumors. We read news articles and we talk about them. So yeah, how is that? How is that a rumor? Talk about rumors? Yeah, yeah. So. Well, maybe that's a rumor that we talk about rumors. Ooh, double whammy. <laughs> and I want to give a big special shout out to Rudolf Huber. He corrected me. So I think on one of the last shows, I talked about Egypt being an OPEC member, and I was wrong. So Mark and Page, great podcast. I like it, but Egypt is not an OPEC member. So thank you, Rudolph, for fact-checking us. If we ever say anything wrong, either intentionally or unintentionally on this show, let us know. Intentionally? Why would we say something intentionally wrong, Mark? I just did it about the boss's boss, oh, HR okay. Love Show, but it was tongue in cheek. So yeah, I, I intentionally said something wrong, but it was, I, I was trying to be funny. But yeah, if, if we make a mistake, let us know. It's the most important thing in the world is we educate our audiences and we make mistakes like everybody else does. So big shout out, Rudolph. Thanks for, for being a fact checker there. We're only human over here. And Rudolph, you'd be interested maybe in being our professional fact checker like <laughs> <laughs> might be a lot of work like rudolph has a job which is good but uh, sincerely I, I do appreciate when people reach out and, and correct us 
let's get the news stories. All right. First one, the one I know everybody is listening to the show for, is activists not only slowed oil pipelines, but also power lines needed for renewable energy. Yeah, this is a really good article in Forbes showing how the energy infrastructure companies, you know, when you drive by and you see those huge towers carrying uh, primary electrical lines that look almost like big ski lifts, that's what we're talking about in this in this news article. And they're actually, I didn't realize this, they're actually getting opposition from environmental activists as well, which is really bizarre to me because, you know, not that I agree with the anti-oil and gas activists at all, but at least you can almost follow their logic. But if those same groups are going to protest building, you know, primary power lines, how are you expect to get this renewable energy around the country? Put it in buckets, maybe, right? Haul it around in buckets <laughs> or something. I, I don't know. But this is really it's a, a deep dive. You need to kind of read this. It's a lot of geopolitical stuff. And it's a lot of the same organizations that are opposing oil and gas infrastructure, like pipelines, are imposing electrical infrastructure, which to me is just bizarre. They actually go in to the point where they had some federal laws changed uh, about 10 years ago that give states more rights in this sort of thing because the way it should work and the way it's always worked is if the nation decides that it's part of critical infrastructure to bring primary power lines and i'm gonna make this up say from virginia to georgia well then they figure out the best route and if they have to cross a farmer's property or a development or whatever those people buy or rent a right-of-way but they have no choice that way they can build the critical infrastructure for for our country and what's happening is some of the states because some of the federal laws have changed the states have a little bit more power so the states now can say no to stuff that before they couldn't say no to new york's a, a great example of that they've canceled several electrical infrastructure projects to bring more uh, long-distance transmission to the state of new york and so you look at states like California and Texas, which have tons of renewable energy, so much so that we can't use it all. And so we want to export it to other states that need that renewable energy. I mean, Texas is the number one wind producer in, in the country. And so we need a way to be able to bring that wind energy that we don't use here in Texas to other states that can use it. And now it looks like the same environmental activists are shutting down the ability to build these transmission lines. I just think they protest for the sake of protesting at this point. You know, Paige, that makes as much sense as anything. But, it, you know, how interesting is the renewable side of the energy mix and the oil and gas side of the energy mix now looks like they have a common foe, right? That, that we have to build this infrastructure. So it'd be interesting to see where this thing goes. This year has been crazy already. We'll keep an eye on this, but let's go ahead and move to the next one. And crazy is an understatement. But anyway... Energy transfer vows to keep pipeline open after court order. You Booyah. <laughs> they heard us. How you think? They heard us. Speaking of rumors, <laughs> <laughs> they heard our last show and they go, you know what? We're going to toe the line, which is the best thing energy transfer could have done. They don't think that the judge in this case has the authority, the right authority to actually shut this thing down. And they're, they, they're expected to go back to court. It's really interesting to see what happens because, you know, if they end up shutting this pipeline down, forget about the lost revenue and the lost jobs and everything else, but just think about what's going to happen in the future when a single judge can shut down an existing exactly. energy infrastructure. Then all of a sudden, what if those judges are politically appointed, mm -hmm. right, instead of elected? Well, now all of a sudden you have the ability to, to manipulate the cost of energy for U.S. citizens, which is not something our politicians should have any control over whatsoever. Uh, energy transfer has decided to fight this in court, which I think is awesome. They're asking U.S. District Court and the District of Columbia to suspend this, the decision, and it's pursuing an appeal. And they have already said that if that doesn't work, they're going to the Supreme Court, which is the right thing to do. But this sort of attacks on our energy infrastructure needs to stop, and it does not need to fall in the hands of local courts. This is a federal issue. This is a strategic, important 
asset to the U.S. population. And these sort of things should just not happen. So a big shout out to Energy Transfers for towing the line and not giving in to public perception and fighting. Good job. Also, I want to hear some attorneys' opinions on this. Yeah, I know we have a bunch of attorneys that listen. It's I am I would be curious as well if uh, any of the legal eagles out there are listening. I'd love to have your input. You know, is energy transfer right? Did this judge not have jurisdiction to make this type of decision? And then if they do go to court and they lose, you know, what's the consequences for energy transfer? I'm sure a, a buttload of fines. Fines, yeah. But I'm just glad their spokesperson Vicky Granda said in the email that Judge James E. Boesberg has exceeded his authority and does not have jurisdiction to shut down the pipeline or stop the flow of crude oil. So this is just, I'm glad I'm watching an oil and gas company, you know, step it up. Good job. All right. Energy Secretary, oil and gas will come back very, very strong. Yeah, this is Energy Secretary Dan Brouletti. Brulette, a good friend. I think it's Brulette. Brulette. And I think it's really cool. He's basically saying that this industry is vital to the U.S., is vital to the world. It's difficult times for the oil and gas industry right now. But he met with a bunch of energy executives and he basically said that, you know, as since he runs the federal agency of, of energy, that he is absolutely sure that not only is the oil and gas industry going to come back, but it's going to come back very strong, which is something I think too is going to happen the first or second quarter of next year. I love how the fact that he brings in that it's energy underpins everything we do in the U.S. economy. It's just nice to have somebody in that position that understands how vital oil and gas is is to mankind and, and to the U.S. The other thing is he also talked about investor money. And so one of the things that he's looking at, and rightly so, is that if our energy if the energy industry wants to continue to flourish, it needs to continue to be able to attract investment money. And we're having an issue with that with public perception. So I just like the fact that he stepped in and, and gave a little bit of stabilization speech to a bunch of executives saying that the industry's coming back, oil and gas has come back, it's going to come back strong, just give a little bit of time. So this is really good news. Yeah, and I think my favorite part of the entire article was when he said, in order to do that, we have to provide a regulatory structure that is certain, transparent, and predictable. Yep. So... All right, so Libya shifts force majeure on all oil exports. I know this is like your favorite legal term ever. <laughs> so let me, ex- you know the little green army men that yeah. everybody played with as a little kid? Yeah. Okay, let me explain this from a little green army man point of view. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this one group of little green army men that think they control Libya and they fight and they've control and they shut down the port so they couldn't export oil. Mm-hmm. You have another group of little green army men that disagree and trying to reopen the port. Well, They've been fighting, as little green army men do, all this time, and nobody's moved the needle, right? So now they've agreed to broker a deal. <laughs> and so both sides of little green army men have agreed that they're going to open up the blockade of the port. This way, Libya can start shipping crude, which is the only revenue source for its government and for its people, which means that money should start flowing back in. They've been through massive destruction and warfare. People are starving to death. There's no medical supplies, no schools. And so they're hoping to, to be able to start turning that around. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know who doesn't want that to happen? OPEC. I was going to ask. OPEC's trying to control supply. And if you have a rogue nation start producing more than, than you need to, it's not good for OPEC. And so it's going to be interesting to see what OPEC says about this. The reality is the infrastructure has been so damaged in Libya that even now that they've removed the blockade on the port, I don't know how much they're going to be able to ship out. Last time I checked, they had one terminal of 12 that was still working. So they had one terminal of 12 they could still offload crude. And that one had a sunk ship in it. So they would have to remove the sunk ship so they could put a super tanker in Goodness. there to be able to use the one of 12. Now, that was six or eight months ago. It was last year in 2019. I don't know what's happened since then. But the infrastructure is the constraint over there. But you know, geopolitically, we this, this isn't 
potentially explosive, and I don't I don't mean that. Actually, maybe I do mean that in the literal term of the word. But this is something that could could set off some some really bad stuff in the Middle East. So let's really keep an eye on this. But let's also make sure we keep an eye on the people in Libya because they're the ones that are suffering the most. And if we can just get a little bit of food and, and money back into that company, they can start rebuilding their infrastructure, which is good for the for the people in, in the country. A little prosperity. A little prosperity. Yep. All right. Next article. Talos Energy receives official instruction to unitize the Zama field within 120 working days. Yeah. So this is a shared field in the waters of Mexico. And the way the laws are written in Mexico, the way the regulations are, is that these operators, they're not forced to form joint ventures, but they're highly encouraged to form <laughs> joint ventures. And when you're highly encouraged to do something in Mexico, you tend to do that. So, so basically, this is Talos being given notice that they have 120 working days to finalize the joint venture with in, in the SAMA field. This is how things have always been done. And, and if you don't know, they have to form a joint venture with Pemex, which is a nationalized oil company in Mexico. They have no – I don't want to say they don't have any choice. Two years ago, they had no choice. Now, it's just highly recommended that they do. Right. The chief executive officer of Talos has said they're working on this really hard, and they expect to have an agreement together relatively soon. The kind of cool thing is there's a bunch of knowledge transfer going on here that nobody's talking about. So Talos Energy is basically helping Pemex understand from an engineering and project management point of view how to best utilize this field. So the joint venture actually helps Pemex and the people in Mexico. And then Talos can make a couple of dollars off of it as well. So they're working on it. They'll get it done and they'll go back to normal operations soon. Well, it's also nice to see, because I, I, I remember whenever Mexico finally started to implement regulatory compliance there to begin with, and and just just to see how that's grown and actually worked out for them. In their favor. Yeah. So it used to be not that long ago that people looked the other way. The same type of HS&E culture that we have in the States didn't exist in Mexico. And I'm not just picking on Mexico. It doesn't exist in a lot of the world. And when the when Pemex started, or not starting, but Pemex realized it needed the help of American European service companies, especially in operators. They had to start working on their HS&E metrics, and they've done, a, they've done a really good job. They still have a ways to go, but they're way better in a much better place than they were 10 years ago. So Didn't we go to some kind of conference or something maybe not a conference but i think a a learn a lunch and learn or something about this with some law firm over in yeah the yeah yeah we did we did and actually we got invited to and i can't remember where it was in mexico we got ba- basically invited to a government conference where the government put on the conference and was inviting all the american and European operators to come in to bid on yeah. on leases out there. And uh-huh. we just we didn't make it. We had other stuff we had to go. But it would have been really interesting to sit into that. That would have been really neat. Yeah. One of the things I really love about the Mexican business culture is the men dress to a T all the time. Custom suits, ties, shoes are always shine. And that's how it was here hey. in the US 15 years ago. <laughs> like a man in a uniform. That's what I'm saying. Well, there's a lot of men in uniforms over uniforms. there. Uniforms. In a suit, what have what whatever. <laughs> God, I haven't put a suit on so long, Paige. <laughs> and the last time I put on dress clothes it was from the waist up. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm just wearing dresses from here on out. What's next? Okay, drilling down. Midland Independent defies downturn. Yeah, so here's a great article. They start off with Summit Petroleum. Here's what's cool, Paige. They're stepping up their drilling program in the Permian, not scaling back. I love it. Mm -hmm. In fact, we want to see if we can maybe get them on one of the shows and just talk about their strategy. But they filed for nine drilling permits, a railroad commission, and it looks like they're getting all nine. They're uh, drilling horizontal wells and the- Sprawberry filled. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And then how about this? 
In the Permian, Adobe PX Energy is drilling three new wells. Eagleford, ConocoPhillips is is drilling new wells. And then Haynesville is the only place where there's new no new permits filed as of yet. But isn't it refreshing to see operators actually not only filing for permits, but then drilling? And I really would love to, and I'm serious, if anybody knows anybody at Summit Petroleum, I'd love to be connected with them because this is very much a strategic move. And I would love to understand their strategy. What they're doing is they're moving while everything is cheap. And, and I, I totally get it. If I was a mid-sized operator, and I had cash, I'd be doing the same thing as well. When the price comes back next year, they're going to be sitting really pretty. But just nice to see operators out there drilling. Well, it's just it's it's showing that, I mean, these permits only last for so long. So that means that they're probably going to do this very soon. Yeah, so they apply for a permit and they have X amount of time to actually start drilling? Exactly. Okay. And Until they have to renew it or have to re-up it. Okay, so that's awesome. That means it's going to happen soon. Sooner than later. Speaking of sooner and later, what's next? All right, we got, oh, crap. Okay, here we go. Joe Biden still doesn't have a plan to stop oil and gas production. Okay, I am not going to make jokes about him at all. I'll try really hard not to. So what what's happened is when Bernie Sanders backed out, his coalition connected with Biden's coalition, and they've put together a proposal that they sent to the D- Democratic Party about how they want them to work on the fossil fuel industry, as they call it. Well, what's happened is in that plan, there's a lot of work, a lot of talk about renewables, a lot of talk about indigenous tribes, a lot of talk about all kinds of stuff, but there's no place in there where they're talking about ending fossil fuel production. Now, there's a couple ways you can look at this. One way is that neither Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden's team have come up with a way to end fossil fuel production, which is something their party talks about. But you can also look at it as they understand that they can't get rid of it. So why would you fight a war you're going to lose? Now, how much of this plan actually gets into the national democratic plan to phase out U.S. fossil fuel production? We have to wait and see. This is purely a political play. This has no basis on economy or science or, or anything else or even on culture. It will be interesting to see with all this COVID-19 stuff going down, the social unrest, the lockdown – I have not heard much or, or any about organizations really capitalizing on trying to hurt the fossil fuel industry. That was really hot, you know, the beginning of this year. We've had a couple of pipeline things we talked about that are critically important for our future, but everybody's more worried about the economy and the virus than they are about things like this. So it's going to be interesting as we head into a the, the end of this year, which is an election year, how the two different political sides are going to are going to use this for their advantage politically. You know, I think one side, I think the Republican side is going to talk about energy independence, the fact that electricity or the cost of energy in the U.S. has gone down so much, the fact that we've attracted so many manufacturing jobs that were overseas just recently because now that you can bring those manufacturing jobs back. And on the other side, I think they're going to talk environment, but the thing is, the environment is doing great. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really going to be interesting to see how they work this in there. Another thing they talk a whole bunch about is carbon capture and storage, which, as we talked about on other shows, the leaders in that, in the reality of doing it at scale, are the companies like ExxonMobil and Statoil and Shell, right? The big super majors. Those are the ones that are figuring out how to capture carbon and store it and use it for other things and do it economically at scale. The one thing in here that really bothers me, Paige, is they talk a little bit about ending or reinstating the crude oil export ban. If you remember about it was 20, 2014, if I'm not, yep. yeah, about 2014, people, when we had the that downturn, people were talking about how it was OPEC trying to fight the U.S. shale producers. Well, at that time, it was illegal for us to export our crude. Right. So our crude 
didn't enter the global market, which means it didn't affect OPEC whatsoever. And the Obama administration, if I remember correctly, yeah. visited the export ban, which is great. Now we can sell our crude to the countries that need it, and we can buy the heavier, more complex crude that we like in our refiners. So please, 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 nobody reinstate that crude export ban. It's been good for the world. It's been good for the environment. It's been good for us. And we do not need to reinstate that. That would decimate our industry because we're producing so much. But now. why would Biden reinstate it if, it, say, he does become president? Why would he reinstate it if Obama was the one that lifted it, you know? But Paige, now you're talking to common sense. Right. Oh, yeah. my bad. And, and you know. I'll, I'll refrain. Yeah. Politically, right now in 2020, there's not a lot, of, not a whole lot of common sense out there right now. I wish there was. but And I mean that on both sides. I'm not picking on one side or the other. So let's keep an eye on this. You know, the environmental activists have gotten, I think they've crossed the line. And I think a lot of, especially the traditional Democrat voters are starting to be a little bit alarmed at some of this. You know, it's one thing to say that you want to protect the environment. Everybody agrees with that, myself included. It's another thing when your electricity bill doubles. Now, all of a sudden, you're, you're, I have to make a choice between, you know, having power in my house or paying my car note. That's a different problem to have, right? And so we just got to be real careful we don't get going down that route like Germany did. But I was about to say new new Green Deal. Or new Green, green Deal, or yeah. Green, but yeah. yeah, so I'm sorry, Joe, that you don't have a plan to stop oil and gas production. If anybody on your team would like to talk about this intellectually and actually put together a plan, I'd be happy to volunteer my time for free. So just reach out. I'm not doing it because I'm a chick. <laughs> I don't want to get sniffed. Anyway, you said you weren't going to make a joke, but I will. I don't even care. Anyway, meanwhile, back on the ranch. OPEC ready's next move. Yeah, so OPEC's in an interesting place. We talked about a little about this as far as market share on the last show. And now what they have to worry about is they're they're gradually going up on the price of crude, which is good for everybody, good for OPEC, good for Russia, good for us. But one of the things that's going to happen is they, they need to make a decision relatively soon on whether they're going to keep these production cuts. And with this second wave of the pandemic going on, with all the social unrest that's going on, with the slump in refined products that's still going on, you know, air, airplanes aren't flying, cruise boats aren't cruising. They got to be real careful because if, if they if they increase the cost too much too fast, it's going to cause another downturn in the market, which is what we don't want. Now, it is very interesting that the that OPEC member nations right now they have a nine point six million dollars a barrel daily output that they've taken off the market. Right. And so originally they want to taper that back to 7.7 million. I don't think we're there at the right time. I still don't think it's time to start uh, opening up the tap anymore. And then Russia also is in the same place. Now, the thing about Russia is Russia needs the price of crude to come back faster than OPEC needs it to come back. Now, they're both in, in a race and, and they neither one of them wants low crude prices forever. But Russia's the one that's hurting a little bit more. So what I'm worried about is Russia may go ahead and open up production regardless of what OPEC does, which would cause basically the same type of effect. You know, we're up above $40 a barrel today. If this trend continues, if we keep from flooding the market with more crude, we should be around $60, $65 next year. But if they if they open the market, if they open the taps too much, we produce too much crude, that's going to rebound and we're going to back down to $20 a barrel oil. Please so, don't do that. Yeah. So, you know, they know what they're doing. They understand the market. The strategy originally when both Russia and OPEC were fighting over prices, which caused this downturn, they've both learned their lesson from that. So we're, we're in a good place. I still wish that the U.S. and Russia and OPEC could come together, even if it was a gentleman's agreement, and agree on production numbers for all three countries. I think that would be, just be the coolest thing in the world. So, you know, my fingers crossed that. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Would it be awesome? It, it would be awesome. But we'll see. <laughs> all right. Here's the next one. The oil and gas industry should use technology to reimage the global energy. 
duh. <laughs> well, we've been talking about this for I don't know how many years. We have an all guys technology show, people. Geez. And I'm sort of joking, but this is the SVP of digital science at BP talking about how our industry needs a new business mindset. And that includes things like digital skills, you know, artificial intelligence, big data analytics, robotics, machine learning, quantum computing, blah, blah, blah. So the technology need is there. We've all agreed with that. We all see that it's there. What we have to be careful of is that we don't rush and use technology for technology's sake. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, paper is still the best solution as much as I make fun of, of paper, right? And so we ask same thing about robotics. You know, we've got to make sure that we don't just adopt technology for the sake of adopting technology. We have to make sure that we're utilizing things to drive efficiencies, to make sure we maintain our, self, our safety and environmental records. But I do agree with him that that our industry needs much more technology in much more different places. And it's really interesting to watch all these startups come up with these really cool things. I mean, we're friends with some very niche startups. You look at Hitched, right? They're out there just blowing it up as far as if you need supplies somewhere, if you need a forklift or bulldozers or, or whatever. Well, hell, they even have their own pa- podcast now. Then so. they have, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and, I mean, even stuff like that, Paige, podcasts. Who would have thought that the oil and gas industry would benefit from having podcasts? And we have, what, 11 now? I'm going to go with eight because that's what's launched. Okay, eight. And, and we're growing. And we have another 60 or so podcasts around the world that are oil and gas. So, I mean, even thing like that, that's, that's a, a digital way to exchange information is, is the podcast. So Watson's talking about, and I don't mean IBM's Watson, I'm talking about the VP. At, I knew that threw me <laughs> off for a second. I was reading that. I was like, wait, what does this have to do with IBM? Yeah, that's what happens when you have some of the biggest technology <laughs> companies in the world as your sponsors. You right. get confused. <laughs> but he's basically talking about how they're going to spend about $5 million or how they've already spent about $5 million investing in startups that help them run their business more safely. And they're making a much more, much larger and much more strategic investment in technologies. This is an interesting world. It's fascinating to me. You know, I actually this morning I had a call with a venture capital group here in, in Texas that invests in a lot of oil and gas startups. And, and it's kind of a long story why I had the conversation, but just the fact there are VC groups and PE groups that focus on technology and oil and gas tells you there's a need for this. You look at our sponsors, they all, all, not all of them, but most of them are big technology companies. They also see this need. So this isn't something that's a fad. This isn't something that is just happening in 2020. I said years ago that 20 years from now, the oil and gas industry is going to look like Silicon Valley. It's going to be sexy and fast and high tech with a flexible workforce. And I still think we're headed that way. And I'm just glad that BP sees it as well. Okay. So that's it for the news articles. Talk about the giveaway, Mark. So talking about the giveaway, you want this really cool shirt, has IBM logo on one sleeve, OGG and logo on the other sleeve. You can only get it one place, and that's by registering when at this show. Go to the show notes, click on the link. We give away one shirt a week. We started the deliveries again, and we actually, our new producer, producer, thank you, had to think of her title because she got promoted in seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> our new producer is now in touch with our supplier for these shirts, and she's making sure that stuff's going to roll out like it should. So people go register. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, and I've been saying this, but we've this has been an interesting year. Each shirt has a unique serial number. That serial number is super valuable. We'll be giving away some really cool stuff based on that serial number. So if you have the shirt, make sure you know what that serial number. And I keep forgetting to say this part. The shirt comes inside an insulated OGG and tumbler, so you can have your adult beverage of choice at whatever temperature you prefer it at. Does it come with a thermo- thermometer, too, as well? Like- <laughs> no, don't say that. Now people are going to want us to include a thermometer. <laughs> if you there. don't have a thermometer right now during this COVID stuff. You I don't should- know if we can get a thermometer right now. Well, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe now, but it wouldn't long ago. I remember look, trying to look for it. Wasn't them, that I could long ago? I couldn't find, find one. No, I couldn't find now one. Now we have all the thermometer manufacturers reach out to us and want us to test their thermometers, which actually- All right, that's enough. <laughs> if you, wait, no. If you are a thermometer manufacturer, reach out to the tech show because they actually do product reviews on that show. Okay. 
All right. That's that's your podcast. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Weekly rig count. Where are we? I actually have some good news. Yep. As of July 12th, 288 rigs, 8% up from last week. That's where we want to go. Yeah. Let's get close to that 300 mark, people. Yep. Keep on moving, moving, moving. And moving, moving, moving. Join the street team. Go to Facebook. Search for OGGN Street Team. It's our all-volunteer group. We ask you to help us with social media. And basically, we ask you to promote and like and share stuff. It's gotten really simple. It's really easy. And Street Team, by the way, love you, right? A lot of the stuff that we're promoting out there, we could not have done it without you. Um, I realize I don't get to talk to you one-on-one, but each and every one of you love you to death. Thank you for being part of the Street Team. And then we're not traveling anywhere, but we can still talk. So if you want any of us to... Not traveling yet. Not traveling yet. But if you want any of us to come to your sales and marketing kickoff, your university, your industry association, we can do it virtually. We also can bring a podcast to it, although not sure how we do that virtually, but we could pull it off. So if you're interested in any of that, reach out to me. I'd be happy to share details. We can pull off some and we can pretty much do anything. Yeah. Which, by the way, people, it looks like we're going to start regularly live streaming. It's always going to be the last Thursday of each month. Each live stream is going to be fun and educational. So pay attention. You can, if you follow our LinkedIn page or our YouTube page or our, our Twitter page or Facebook or, or the OGGN website, you'll be notified when the live stream goes out. And then while you're out there, speaking of LinkedIn, just go ahead and go to LinkedIn and, and follow our OGGN page. It's over 40,000 members and growing strong. Whew, a lot going on, Paige. Yeah. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.